Welcome to our Close with the Sun daily podcast, a daily reading of scripture and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Monday, June 5th, 2023, and it is the Monday of the ninth week of ordinary time. Today's gospel is from Mark. Jesus began to speak to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders in parables. A man planted a vineyard put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and left on a journey. At the proper time, he sent a servant to the tenants to obtain from them some of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and that one they beat over the head and treated shamefully. He sent yet another whom they killed. So too many others, some they beat, others they killed. He had one other to send, a beloved son. He sent him to them last of all, thinking they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come, put the tenants to death, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture passage? The the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the crowd, for they realized that he had addressed the parable to them. So they left him and went away. So here we have one of many places where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. Jesus normally does not condemn people. His mission is to forgive and to save. Why does he condemn them? It's a great question because in this day and age, as we're discussing things happening in the church, I don't know, personally speaking, I find myself confessing all the time that I gossiped about church leaders. Now, was I really committing a sin? Was it really gossip? Or is it perhaps necessary that we talk about our leaders in objectively truthful terms, not to destroy their reputation, not to tell lies, certainly, but to objectively speak about things that are scandalous that are happening in the church? Jesus goes after these people because they represent God and they're leading people astray. And so Jesus isn't gossiping. Jesus isn't wrongfully condemning. This is part of Jesus's ministry. He, he heals and loves and forgives everybody and accepts everybody. Not that he accepts their sins, but he accepts them as persons. But these people don't want to be accepted. These people want their version of the religious story to prevail. They want to do things their way, which is not God's way. And they're plotting to put him to death. So what does Jesus say in this story, in this particular parable? He's talking about them. The parable is obviously about them. And it also makes reference to the prophets and those that came before Jesus that were put to death because they spoke the truth. But Jesus is predicting their death by this parable. It's like one more step. 
it's already addressing the fact that, yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, they're going to put him to death. Yes, this is part of the process. This is all happening. But it doesn't change the fact that he's the Messiah. He's going to come back from death. Maybe that's not all spelled out yet in the story. But the Messiah is going to be victorious. We know this. It was predicted. But it was also predicted that those who kill the Messiah are themselves going to be punished. So there's so much to be said here, and it's reflected in the book of Revelation. It's reflected in the Old Testament, and this parable really tells us so very much. In the historian Josephus' writings, he talks about first century um, Jerusalem, the Holy Land in the first century, and he says that the religious leaders at the time were essentially the most evil people that ever lived on the face of the earth. They were disgusting, foul people. And then, in real life, what happens? In the year 70 AD, it's written in Josephus, but also Jesus predicted this as well, that within one generation, not one stone would be left upon another. In other words, Jerusalem was destroyed, the religious leaders were put to death by the Romans. They continued to... Uh, go after power. They couldn't get enough. They couldn't get enough power and authority and control. So they kept going after it. They kept seeking it. And ultimately, they upset the Romans. And the Romans came in and wiped them all out. These are the same people that killed Jesus. In Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, he puts in the mouths of Caiaphas and some of the religious leaders Um, Let his death be upon us and upon our children. Well, that's a direct quote from Scripture. So if you're going to say Mel Gibson is anti-Semitic, then you have to say the Bible, the New Testament is anti-Semitic. But it's not, see, because Jesus is Jewish and Jesus is the hero of the story. Mary is Jewish. The apostles are Jewish. Uh, So these are all good people. But at the same time, the Jewish leaders, they put the curse upon themselves. That's how... Uh, driven they were to defeat Jesus and put him to death. So they take on themselves this great responsibility of the death of the Messiah, not fully knowing, not fully understanding what it is that they're doing. And, uh, and it happens. It's fulfilled. Just like what was predicted, they are put to death. Jerusalem is destroyed. And the book of Revelation speaks of a city that will be destroyed. Now, it refers to a lot of different things. Revelation can be read on many different levels, as as are many passages in the Bible. But at one point, when it's talking about the city that is destroyed, it says, this is where the Lord was crucified. So there's definitely a reference there to Jerusalem. And yes, it is fulfilled. The prediction is fulfilled. Jerusalem is destroyed. We now live in what's called a post-Christian society. And as many people are confused, and I'm confused sometimes too, what is happening in the world today? I'll give you an example. My hometown, which is very strongly Catholic, there's a very strong Catholic parish there. I haven't lived there in a while, but my family mostly still lives there. Today, they had a gay pride parade, and it's the second annual. And... Now, okay, I was about to say, well, I'm not blaming this or that. No, and it's not about blame. 
there's a group of people that live there. Maybe they always lived there. Maybe they just recently moved in, but they wanted to have this parade down the center of town. The mayor, who's supposed to be Catholic, defended it. And, and actually, there's pictures of him dancing around in the street with the people. Um, his family, I know the family very well. They all went to church. They're all Catholic, at least Catholic in name. I know talking to some of them, they're very devout. And talking to some of them, they're pro-abortion and this and that. But the thing that scandalizes me most about that situation, and we see these situations all over, is that the parish, which is very, very strongly Orthodox Catholic parish, a very strong faithful parish with adoration, with lots of Marian devotions, things like that, they didn't stand up to it. They didn't do anything about it. They let it go as it happened right there in the street right nearby. And the parish the same day had a little bit of a carnival or whatever you want to call it. And God bless them. They're allowed to have carnivals. That's great. You know, sometimes you need them to support the parish financially. And I, I heard it was successful. A lot of people came out. That's wonderful. The parish should celebrate. But I would think on such a day, at the very least, you know, if not having a procession through the streets or protests, You'd have some holy hours, some extra uh, inviting the people to fast, holy hours of reparation, things like that. But we live in what's called a post-Christian society. In other words, and this is very much connected to the people that Jesus got most upset with, the religious leaders. People, In other words, what, what Jesus is condemning, and this is the greatest sin, it's the sin of Lucifer. Remember, Lucifer was the highest of the angels. In a way, it's the sin of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden. It was paradise. They walked with God. There are times when the sin is far greater because the person or the people should know better. Now, there but for the grace of God go I. We, many of us should know better and we still do horrible things. We still commit sins, but this is our society right now. And it was the society at the time of Jesus. Many people followed him. Many people rejected him and they should have known better because it was predicted. Everything Jesus did was predicted, even though they expected other things, you know, they expected this triumphant worldly triumphant Messiah but they were neglecting the parts of the Old Testament that talked about the suffering servant Messiah. Yes, he would be triumphant, but he would also suffer. He would also do all the things that Jesus did in his life. You know, raise the dead, cure the blind, cure the sick, expel demons, preach the truth in a way that could not be refuted. So we live in a society today, you know, I mean, there are many beautiful Protestant churches doing so many good, beautiful things. But when you go to some of these Protestant mega churches, and, you know, I, I love my Protestant brothers and sisters, and I love what they do, and sometimes I love to go pray with them. But when you go to some of these churches, you find out that maybe 80% of the membership is ex-Catholic. Okay, what's going on there? You know, they gave up the Eucharist. I mean, once again, they're going to a beautiful church. There's the preaching of the word. There's singing. There's there's some of these people are very charismatic. The Holy Spirit is is very active there. There's healings and just beautiful things. But eighty percent ex-Catholic that grew up receiving the Eucharist, 
that grew up going to confession and having absolution? What are, what's going on here? We're taught one way and then we do something else. And why? And then there's so many people, I mean, and I, I don't think this is just a Catholic number. I think this is a Protestant number as well. Before COVID, I mean, but let's just talk about Catholics for a moment. 20% of people said they actually believed the Eucharist was the body and blood of Jesus. And 20% of Catholics on the books actually went to church. And you know what's funny? I mean, so just to tell you, after COVID, it's not even 20% anymore. It's down to like 15%. But even among that 15%, they talk before Mass. They talk after Mass. They only go every other week. I mean, there's just a long list. There's a very small number of people that are actually in the state of grace. St. John Vianney, patron saint of parish priests, used to talk about how his goal as a pastor was that every single one of his parishioners would be in the state of grace. And I believe at one point in his life, he said he had actually achieved it. Where every single, and he could read their souls, every single one of his parishioners registered at his parish was going to church every Sunday and was not in the state of mortal sin. It's an amazing thing. And we know, yes, because of human weakness, we can't accomplish that. Or it's very rare that that would happen. But nowadays, we're talking about 15% that go on Sundays that don't even go every week. And out of that 15%, how many of them are pro-alternative lifestyles, pro-abortion, not agreeing with the church's teachings on things like contraception, different moral issues, not agreeing that we're supposed to go to church on on Sundays and holy days. It is a post-Christian society. It's a group of people all across our country and all across our world who should know better. And I was just mentioning, yeah, Protestants as well. I wouldn't be surprised if the number is around 20% of people call themselves Christian but actually go to church, actually love Jesus and practice their faith. These numbers are low across the board. In fact, I think the largest – it's half kidding, half serious when the question is asked, what is the largest religion in, the, in America – if you broke it down appropriately, the largest group is ex-Catholics. Ex-Christians, if you put them all together, it's even a larger number. But, you know, even if you divide it up, there's Catholics here and Protestants there. Ex-Catholics make up the largest religious group in America. In other words, people that used to love Jesus. They used to practice. They used to go to church. So it's, an, it's a post-Christian society. And so we are surprised and it's good that we're surprised which means we're still striving for holiness but it's a it's a horrible surprise and, and a lot of times we're not surprised when we see like with my friend the mayor they have the name of catholic the title of catholic yet they're sponsoring a gay pride parade and they're doing it in the name of charity and kindness I know this guy and I, yeah, I know he's trying to be a nice guy. He's trying to do something very good there. But, you know, what do we say? I mean, Jesus loved everybody, but he still said to them, go and sin no more. He didn't say, let's stay in your sins. Let's celebrate the sins. I love you so much that I'm going to encourage you to end up in hell. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus took them away from their sins. Jesus forgave them their sins. And he filled them with so much love. And this is where the other side of it is. You know, still, 
there's a way to give people love and affirmation and respect while not agreeing with their sins and not encouraging things that are either sinful or have to do with mental illness or both. Once again, people with mental illness, we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to accept them and encourage them, but not in a way that encourages uh, the works of darkness. So we ask our Lord that we, first of all, for each one of us, that we may not be the Pharisees, that we may not be, um, you know, like those religious leaders that just make it all about ourselves, that use religion to, uh, you know, build up ourselves in popularity and political ways, whatever, but also that we stand up for what's right. And sometimes that means erring on the side of charity, but sometimes that means erring on the side of truth. We ask our Lord for discernment for this and that we not be part of the problem of a post-Christian society, but we be the ones that remained, that we stay with Jesus at the cross, at the foot of the cross. It means we have to learn our faith. It means we have to be well-versed in things. Very often, like I say, you know, my friend, the mayor, you know, those kinds of people are saying, well, if you truly love your fellow human being, then you would support something like this. And we have to know what we're talking about to say, no, I do love them. And that's why I don't support it. I do love them. And that's why, you know, and, and it's so difficult because as soon as, you know, people are so quick to accuse you nowadays of hate speech and, and all this kind of stuff. You're persecuting them because you don't go along with every little thing that they, you know, their agenda, what they're trying to push forward. So we ask our Lord to help us to be balanced, <laughs> but to help us to be well-versed in our faith, to love him, to stay faithful to him, and not, you know, when Jesus is talking about the uh, tenant farmers putting the son to death, we put the son to death when we reject our faith. And we're just paving the way for ourselves to end up in hell. St. John Vianney said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We have a church in our diocese, St. John Vianney, and it's on Good Intent Road. It's kind of funny. I don't know if they even knew that when they named it. But yes, there can be good intentions. The Pharisees, I don't know, did they have good intentions? It's hard to say. Were they just selfish or were they... You know, you have St. Paul who was authentic when he was Saul, when he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. The Lord had to show him. So let's ask the Lord to keep showing us, to keep showing our leaders, to keep showing the world around us what is truth, what is the best way to truth, and how do we preach the truth with great charity. Let's ask Our Lady to do that for us and to be mother of us all leading us to the heart of her son, especially during this month of the Sacred Heart. God bless you. Have a great day.